There's a particularly memorable scene in Lewis Carroll's marvelous tale, Alice in Wonderland, in which the main character, Alice, is standing at a moment of indecision in her life. She is unsure of which way she should turn on the journey ahead. And so because she's female and not male, she decides to ask for directions. (laughs) And she goes to the Cheshire Cat. Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here, Alice asks. Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to, replies the cat. I don't much care where, begins Alice, to which the cat quickly rejoins, then it doesn't matter which way you go. There is great truth in that statement, isn't there? If you don't particularly care where you wind up, it doesn't matter which way you go now. If you don't care where you ultimately wind up in life, then The turns that you're making this week don't really matter all that much. You can let the pressures of the moment drive you. You can let the flow of the crowd be your direction. You can let your inner anxieties or your appetites be the primary driver of the direction of your life. If you aim at nothing, don't worry. You're going to hit it. You're going to hit it. But if you want to get anywhere but lost in this life, then you need a vision for where you want to go and how you hope to get there. I mean, that's true in every sphere of life, isn't it? As a parent, as a spouse, as a career person, as an athlete, if you have a vision for where you want to wind up, it makes all the difference in the way that you go now. So what I'm trying to say is, In all the most important spheres of life, you need sight for the pathway. I want you to remember that phrase, sight for the pathway, because it's a very, very important one as we consider life and especially the life with Christ. Uh, Do you have in your sights the destination you're aiming for in life? Could you describe it to somebody else? This is where I want to wind up 10 years from now, 20 years from now. This is what I want to be like. Where, in other words, are your binoculars pointed? Where do you have you got yours pointed? Now, the truth, of course, is that the world around us is willing to help us with this. Right? All the time. Uh, the world is very happy to be our trip advisor. The most popular travel website today is called TripAdvisor. You can always find good advice there about where to go, which way you should turn. And, and the world will give us advice like this. They, it will say, focus your sights on going to Upper Richigan. Yes, you should hit the Upper Peninsula there of Upper Richigan because when you have all the money that you need, you'll be, life will be perfect. You will have no problems. It will be comfortful and stress-free. Focus your sights on getting to Richigan. Or, or make it your goal to get to Fame Sylvania, if you can. There's a lot of advertisements for Fame Sylvania. Just watch Entertainment Tonight. Uh, you, or most magazines, you're going to see advertisements on, on getting to Fame Sylvania. The folks there are a little bloodshot, some of them a little blood-sucking, but they are fit and fabulous looking, 
And so a lot of people are trying to get to Fame Sylvania. Or maybe you should make it your aim to spend as much time as possible in Thrillinois. Um, there's a lot of places where you can go. And what, what happens in Thrillinois stays in Thrillinois. Just want you to know that. And you will want to spend as little time as possible in Borrigan. Oh, it's, you don't want to go to Borrigan. And, and the trip advisor of our world will, will, will tell you that you should definitely avoid the great state of Texas because that is a miserable place. And worse still, the, the state of Newark because if you have to do lots of... Life is about trying to avoid demands. That's where you want to get. You want to get to a place when there are no more demands on you, when nobody is insisting that you do their stuff. In fact, if you can, in the meantime, try to make your way to sunny Powerzonia. Oh, Powerzonia is a fabulous place. It's where you are in control. It's where other people do your bidding. It's where you get to arrange things. As you know, they should have been all along if people were listening to your opinion. You'll want to go to Powerzonia. And if the journey to any of these places starts to get too difficult, then make a side trip to Malifornia. Uh, You can find all kinds of trinkets there that will make it easier for you in the journey. Or head on down to, to, I don't know, Louisiana or maybe over to New Sexico. You'll feel so much better in these places. In fact, you might come to live there most of the time. These are some of the places that the world, its trip advisors, are constantly encouraging us to point our binoculars towards. Where are yours pointed? Where are they pointed? Jesus understood the challenge we face in a world where there are many advisors. And his own disciples were confused often about where they should turn. They were as confused as Alice on her journey or as we get on ours. And this could be why Jesus was as pointed as he was in giving clear directions. You know, he was mysterious about many things. But about the purpose of life, he gave very, very clear directions. Enter through the narrow gate, he said in his great Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter Seven. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through that. Many are on that path, he says. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, to real life, to abundant life, to the full life we were talking about last week, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets, says Jesus. There are a lot of voices out there. You know, you're going to have a lot of advisors in this world. Please watch out for the false ones because they can easily lead you astray. In fact, most people, Jesus says, are on that big wide road gone astray, heading for a destination that is not life in all of its fullness. And that's why Jesus says that you should focus your binoculars on one great destination in life in particular. And this is how Jesus puts it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Raise your hand if you've ever heard those words. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
What in the world does he mean? What does it mean to seek the kingdom and his righteousness? Well, simply put, the kingdom is the state of living in love with God and with neighbor. That is, that is really what the kingdom is. It is the state of being in love with God and with our neighbor. Everything Jesus taught and modeled was aimed at this vision of life. If you go back and read the Gospels with this lens, it will strike you. Wow, everywhere he keeps going after this particular theme. He's constantly trying to show people how to move out of that self-absorbed, self-focused, isolated individuality into which we're drawn by the very power of sin to draw us out of our self, what, what, what St. Augustine called the incurvatus se, the curving in on ourself, and out into the much larger world of loving the creator and of loving the people around us. To put it another way, the greatest goal of our lives is to pursue spiritual and relational health. It is to grow in intimacy with God that builds up our spiritual health and in connection with others around us, loving connection that builds up our relational health. Think of the cross. Every time you see the cross, remember, that's your calling. To love God, to love neighbor, to grow spiritual and relational health. Now, prior to coming to Christ Church, I, I pastored two churches in, that served two of the wealthiest zip codes in America. I think at, at the time I was serving them, they were number two and number five in terms of the, of, of what. In other words, these were the communities that a lot of the world have their binoculars on. Or, or communities like those. In other words, the people that have, are living in those communities have gotten to the end of the binocular rainbow. They have got riches, and they've got fame, and they've got power, and they've got thrills and, and entertainments out the wazoo. I mean, I could tell you some stories about these communities. Um, They were where people were aiming to get. But I discovered that a lot of these people did not have abundance, as Jesus talked about it. They just didn't. I mean, some did. But I would say the majority of people I was meeting in these communities were missing health in the deepest sense. They did not have this spiritual and this relational health and in fact, they often came to the church because they were trying to find it. They, there was something missing, or, or I was pulled into things when, when the life had crashed and burned in spite of all that they had, and they, they were just desperately in need of this help. If we are ruthlessly honest with ourselves, we're going to probably admit that we too have got a distance to go to get into that kingdom, to live the full life of that kingdom. Uh, some of us are not spiritually healthy. I just put it out there. Uh, we may have done church for a lot of years, but we are not healthy spiritually in the way Jesus describes that kind of health. Uh, we live, for example, much of the time on the strength of our own ingenuity and our own 
uh, energy. You know, we just, that's what's driving us. It's not God's strength. It's not his wisdom that's our, our motive power in life. It's, it's still so much us. Uh, or, or we're driven by pride and anger and fear and anxiety. It's compelling us along the road uh, rather than being filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. And the reason I can tell you that some of the meanest people I've met are in church. Really. Some of them are pastors, I'm sure. How's that? How you could hang around in church all these years and be so darn mean? Um, it's because we're not spiritually healthy in spite of, Just coming into the building doesn't guarantee you become spiritually healthy. And many of us, we, we still base our self-esteem on these false selves, right? You know what I mean by false self? I mean, I define my identity, my self-worth in terms of what I do, what I have, how I look, what other people think of me. That's a false self, biblically speaking. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, there's only one way you identify yourself. I am a child, a beloved child of the king. That's who I am. I may have a lot of things that are not buttoned up and still need work, but my father is the king. And I'm just trying to live into the family way. Uh, Many of us are not there yet. We're still stuck on the false self. That's what I mean when I say we're lacking in spiritual health. And because our spirits are ill, some of us are not as relationally healthy either. There's this connection between spiritual health and relational health. Uh, our, our insecurities and our unbridled passions are causing problems in our relationships. And the people that live in our house and work in our workplace and meet us in other places, they see it. They see the lack of relational health in us. They, we repeat these unhealthy patterns. I mean, I, how many of us have said to ourselves, as we just said something or did something or interacted with people in a particular way, oh, that's exactly like my dad or my mom. I can't believe I've become just like them. And they were saying at our age, ah, I can't believe I'm so much like. I mean, it's good in some ways to be like those who came before us, but there are also these negative patterns, these unhealthy generational patterns in families that just keep getting cycled again and again and again. Uh, Sometimes we avoid the things that are necessary to propel our relationships into healthier places. We don't tell the truth to each other in relationships. Or we don't want to hear the truth. We avoid deep listening. Um... And, and so often, because of this spiritual problem, this relational problem, we just drive our, we're unsettled. We go through life kind of just out of sorts a lot of the time, not fully understanding why. And so we give ourselves to drink. We're heading down to Boosiana a lot. Uh, or we're, we're looking for distractions. You know, we want to be in Illinois more um, because of this fundamental lack of health. When there are all these people around us that need us, these precious people that we could be investing in instead. So, so let me just offer one disclaimer here and, and tell you that there really is nothing inherently wrong with riches, 
fame, thrills, power, work, sports, entertainments of various kinds. I can show you passages in this book that extol the value of all of those things. Those are potential goods. They're made by God. But as soon as any of those things become our ultimate destination, like the thing that's, that we're going to measure success on in life, is that we got there. As soon as that becomes our objective and, and begins to distract us from the ultimate goal of life, which is to, to live in love with God and with other people, to have spiritual and relational help, then, then these other occupations that the world's always telling us to, to head out on, on, these become pavers in the road to destruction. They become pavers on the road to our destruction. All of this can change for the better, however, even if we're on that road to destruction. And I guess, you know, probably all of us at moments of our life are on that road. It's not a complete either-or thing. It can get better if we're willing more and more to go on the great adventure with Christ. And going on that journey requires three things. Okay, there are three things. When we say you need sight for the pathway, uh, you have your binoculars pointed in the right direction. Here, there are three practical implications for that. One, observe where you are. You know, take the binoculars down and just look at your feet. Where are you today? You know, those, those of us who have been plugged into the 12-step movement know that you start with a fearless moral inventory. You admit you're powerless. You move on soon to a fearless moral inventory of who, how healthy are you? How unhealthy am I? And, and let me say that if you are completely in love with God, and you are living out of the fullness and the overflow of his love for you. And, and that love is driving you out into these incredibly loving relationships with family members and workmates and the stranger behind the counter. If that's just, if, then maybe you're not far from the kingdom of God at all. And you can just ignore what I'm going to say. You should be just ribbing the person next to you because it's obviously they need to hear this, not you. But if you're thinking to yourself, ooh, I'm, I think I'm off track. I think I have pretty far to go to be really spiritually and relationally healthy. Then don't get discouraged by that. As the great Jewish rabbi and scholar Abraham Heschel once said, only those who are lost will find the promised land. You've got to know you're lost so that you'll ask for directions. Okay, it's not... It's, Getting, knowing you're lost is a turning point. It's where repentance, biblically speaking, begins to occur. So start by observing where you are today. Maybe go home and write out a description of where you think you are and where you'd like to be. And that's the second point. Set your sights on where you want to wind up. Who do you want to be 10 years from now? Better yet, if they're... They're doing the funeral service for you. What are they saying about you? I did one just Friday. And it was fun, because this guy had thought a lot about where he wanted to wind up. Um, what do you want them to say about your spiritual life, your relational life? Um, is it more important for you to wind up in one of those popular states, or is it more important for you to wind up in the kingdom? Will, will, 
will spiritual and relational help be something you just sort of hope settles upon you with the passage of time while you're on the wide popular road? Or will you point your lens more consistently in days ahead on that final destination? Observe where you are. Set your sights on where you want to wind up. Thirdly, finally, look to Jesus as your guide. Look every day to Jesus as your guide. Next week, we're going to examine what Jesus had to say about how to cultivate spiritual health. What are the basic things we need to be about to get spiritually healthy? And we're going to unpack that together. The the final, uh, the next week, we're going to explore what Christ has to say about growing greater relational health. Um, The very best relationships possible. And then we're going to go on to some other interesting subjects after that. But as you'll see with the adventure guide that we've given you today in your hand, um, there are some practical next steps required of you. Uh, Just listening to me talk will be a little piece of this. It won't take you on the adventure. There are some steps that are necessary that will move you forward. Change, in other words, will be required. Sacrifices will need to be made. Reinvestments of your time and energy will be needed. Never forget, says Jesus, that the road to all, in all of its fullness is a narrow road. <laughs> uh, the road to life with a capital L is a narrow road, especially in this world that's filled with a lot of distractions and other roads. Not everybody finds the road, says Jesus. He's honest about that. Not everybody finds this road. Um, in fact, most don't. They will be heading to one of those other states. Um, You have to give attention to getting on this road and to staying on this road. There's mystery and unpredictability to this journey that I will take you on, says Jesus. But as I suggested last week, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, he, over time, is going to take us someplace amazing, incredible, joyful, worth the cost along the way. And that is why, as we come to the table of our Lord today, I want to invite you to listen one more time to that marvelous passage from Hebrews chapter 12. But this time, in the delightful paraphrase of it that Eugene Peterson gives us in his book, The Message. Peterson writes, Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. In other words, he's walked this walk. He's, he's been on this journey. He knows the way. He, he knows the challenges you're facing and I'm facing. He's been there. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it. That's what discipleship is. Learning from the master. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed writes Peterson, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He never lost sight. His binoculars were always pointed at that ultimate outcome. And so he could put up with anything along the way, writes Peterson, or the writer of the Hebrews, cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there 
He's there in the place of honor right alongside God, experiencing the joy of the race completed, the adventure completed. And so when you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story. His great adventure. Go over that story again and again and again. And that is what we'll do, not only in the weeks ahead, but as we come to this table, to meet him here in this place. Would you bow your head with me? Our gracious God, we thank you that you are our guide, that you know the way. Give us your sight for the pathway. You from whom all blessings ultimately flow. Amen.